0: One of the biggest reasons why I really like bowling from my own competitive perspective is the fact that it's really just me versus 10 pins and 60 feet of lane. Most of the time, who you're bowling against doesn't matter as long as you position yourself right into the right events without overextending yourself. But really, it's just you versus pins. It's you versus the lane. It's not you versus that other person, even in match play. That also makes practice really important because if you wanna compete at a high level, you have to put in the time to get to that level so that you can be your best self versus somebody else who is their best self. But even still, it's most of the time not you versus them, it's just you versus yourself. Execute your shots, make your spares, and you're gonna do pretty well. But the physical game is only one piece to this puzzle. There's also the mental game, there's also a bit of luck involved, and when you don't have all three of those pieces matching up together, sometimes getting the results that you want can be more difficult to acquire. It doesn't mean that you're not good, it doesn't mean that you're not putting in the effort, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to win at some point, but sometimes you're just in the middle of that process. Ashley Galante has been on the women's since its reinception in 2015. She's a former teen masters champion. She's a former high average holder for multiple years as a youth female bowler. And she's also in the middle of the struggle of trying to get to title number one. Ashley was generous enough to share some of her time to tell her story and also give us some insights on kind of what she's been working on with her game and how she's really pushing to get title number one. So let's get to it. Ten Pin Life Podcast number two with Ashley Galante. <laughs> you've been able to grow your brand. And because of that, I think the sport has grown when you're on TV. You know, we talk about the Empress stuff here as well, which I'm super curious how that experience was, but also kind of want to know what you're working on as well. And like, you know, what, what projects do you have going on in bowling? I know you just won on Saturday, which is awesome. Um, But yeah, I guess uh, to start off with, um, we can kind of roll all the way back. Um, You were and still are one of the most successful youth bowlers to have ever lived, <laughs> um, with having a it's high like average,
1: amazing, yeah. that, like amazing youth career, and then feel so <laughs> unsuccessful as an adult.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't say unsuccessful. I think you're just. I think you're you're in this transitionary or transition period, um, and you have been for a bit, and. I, 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 I just want to caution that the idea that you're unsuccessful, I would, I would disagree. Um, <laughs> but let's talk, let's just let's go back, right? So okay. you were you were national high average for female youth bowlers for like six years in a row. Um, team masters runner up one year, and then you won it the next year, if I remember right. And that was the train station days, which is so cool. <laughs> um what got you into bowling um and then what kind of propelled you to be like one of the best in the nation during those years
1: let's see my dad said I had to do a sport so I had done gymnastics ballet figure skating and I didn't like any of it and my dad was one of those parents which I agree with is that when you start something you have to finish it so like as much as I hated figure skating, I remember I had to finish all the classes before I could start something new. Mm-hmm. So uh, then he gave me a choice. He's like, I really want you to do golf, but I'm going to give you a choice between bowling and golf. And he was a bowler at the time, so he was, like, talking to, like, local people trying to find, like, a co- uh, just, like, a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and me being 12, I was like, well, yeah, I was probably a bit lazy back then, too. Like, couch potato, like... Didn't like being outside very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I wanted to do bowling because it was indoors. I didn't want to be outside in the heat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, if I was, hmm, if I was able to go back in time, I'd probably tell myself to call. There's money in golf. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> but now I don't regret my decision at all. Um, I I think that it took me a little while to, um, actually get into bowling because I was very, um, I was very sick as a child, so I wasn't around a lot of people. So just, I was very introverted mm-hmm. and even to be with my coach, I didn't want to be around him. I didn't want to talk to him, especially because it was a male coach. I wanted a female coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just didn't work out that way. Um, so what ha- ended up happening was is that my dad was like, well, let's just try this out. And he put me into a league and I hated the idea of my dad spending money on me if that makes sense like mm-hmm. I was like how, how much does this cost you dad I, I don't want you spending the money you mm-hmm. know um and uh, and it was like that for quite a bit and then we started bowling he we practiced at home we did all of my steps at home and uh I guess generally I just started loving it once I started really getting into it and um I think I was just naturally good at it mm-hmm. um And much of it was because I wasn't actually good at it or because before my coach would start working with me,
0: he made
1: me go home and practice my steps at home. Mm -hmm. So I would go through my four-step approach at home, and I did 20 steps a night for, like, two weeks. And then when I got a ball in my hand, uh, I actually already had the footwork. I already had everything working for me. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. then from there, you know, and then I'll – you know, just from there, it it wasn't as difficult, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. so you started bowling at 12.
1: I think it was 11
0: it was, or 12. Yeah. It's, yep. so, it's around that range. It, it's so, <laughs> it was a while ago. Yeah. It's just, it's, but it's, it's interesting to, cause most of the, the people that you see, well, not, maybe not most, I guess I don't know everyone's story, but it's probably more common to have people start especially at the, the, that high level that you're at, whether like so many of their parents were proprietors and they started bowling as soon as they could walk or, yeah. you know, like you've got these kids that's, um, you know, I, I talked with Maria Bolanova, uh, last week and she started in when she was like seven. Um, and it's just, it's just the sport that I grew up playing. And for you, it's a little bit different. And then in a very short amount of time, you know, between that 12 to or 11 to 14 stage, you went from, I've never really done this before to I'm going to work as hard as I can on something to being like nationally recognized in, and then to do that in a three-year period is kind of ridiculous. Like it's in, in a very good way. Um, Like, was that something where, like you said, you don't, you know, you, you were taught you don't quit on something like that, but what was the thing Not not everyone can have their parents propel them to being nationally great. And I would say that it's probably pretty rare to have that happen, but what was, what was the practice process? Like, was it, was it mostly like at homework? Did it, did it encapsulate your entire mind when you were at school or was it just something that it was like, I just really like it and I just want to do this.
1: Um, I will say that it wasn't forced on me because once I, once I got to the point where I was like, I want to do this. I like, I like, I love it. Uh, I loved practicing. And I think even to this day, I really do enjoy practicing. Um, I just love being on the lanes. Uh, I think my favorite is when nobody's in the center and it's just like, just me in the Mm -hmm. lane. It just has this nice little, uh, I don't know. It's, it's my release, Mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Something for me to focus on and have something to drive towards. Mm -hmm. Um, But bowling captured my mind and. Every way possible. Um, let's see. It starts with me always practicing at home. Like, mm-hmm. didn't miss practices at home. Uh, I practice four to six hours a day on the lane. <laughs> okay. Uh, That's a I lot. Bowl, yeah. Uh, and it wasn't like going out there and bowling, like, uh, just starting strike balls and trying to pull high games. Like, mm-hmm. it was me working on either things that my coach, like my goal every week was that every time I see my coach, I want him to be like, wow, you got this down already? Okay, guess what? We get to work on stage. I always looked for that that excitement from him. So I worked really hard so that like I can get that from him every single week. Mm-hmm. Um, so then when it came to like me, developing developed my own practices, like things that people wouldn't do would be like practicing their 10 pins or their seven pins and their spare shooting. And I'd spend games just shooting spares. Mm-hmm um i would practice different target lines i would play up the gutter i'd play deep and then i like i'd make these own little games for myself where what's the highest score i could play while playing the gutter on one lane and then deep on the other Mm lane. and when i started shooting like 200s doing that um i would start doing it with maybe different releases or i remember one time i put in like i had Let's see, like four or five different bowling balls. And I put up four or five different games, and every bowling, I had to, like line up with each bowling ball mm-hmm. and see which ball was gonna get the highest game. Mm-hmm. And honestly, out of anything, that was probably the most challenging thing that I did. Mm-hmm. But then you know, then you have practices with release, and you have just like I just practiced every part of the game to make myself as much as versatile as I could because, mm-hmm. you know, especially back then. More so than I think of it now is that the game was even different. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's evolved now differently than it was back then, and being versatile was very important mm-hmm. in my. I mean, it still is, but a lot of I feel like now because of between how um, the equipment is advanced and uh, just being able to drill bowling balls like that, you know, it, it kind of just takes a little bit of that versatility out. Not that you don't need it; you still do, but um, it's probably not as
0: crucial as it used to be. Oh, yeah. No, that totally makes sense, Um, which I want to go one direction, but I want to focus on the versatility side and get into the Teen Masters thing because that competition since its inception has been all about versatility and being able to play where the lanes tell you to play. Now, I never participated in it, but I have watched a ton of it, and I understand it pretty deeply. And I really appreciate it. So tell me about that process of, you know, cause you had probably had to play everywhere on the lanes to be, even be minorly successful, let alone win it. Um, what was that like? I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome to have gone from, I didn't bowl to Teen <laughs> masters champ in five years. Yeah, it was, um,
1: it was something that I love. I love because that was something that like I already practiced every time. one one ball, one lane, one of the other. And all of a sudden, now they have a tournament that's like them. I'm like,
0: well, great. I could do
1: that. Mm-hmm. I already do this all the time anyways. Um, but truthfully, the first year that uh, when I came in second at Team Masters, mm-hmm. I think, I believe both years, I led the tournament by 200 pounds. <laughs> okay. So, uh, and that's not an over-exaggeration. I'm pretty sure that's what the numbers were. Yeah. Um, but before... Bowling Team Masters, um, I had a really bad outing at Junior Gold. Okay. And I remember I just had this phone call with my coach, and I was just like, I'm done. I can't handle this. Because like, I you have to understand, I am so competitive, and so like dealing with that pain of like losing was very, very hard to deal with. And I, I was like, I'm, I'm already committed. I'm bowling this tournament. I'm here. But I, I don't even care about it. I was like, I'll, Whatever. get a bowl it and then I'm quitting bowling after this. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna bowl anymore And then yeah, obviously I go out there now, like you just relax because you're like, oh, i do not I'm done with bowling after this. Mm-hmm, <laughs> then mm-hmm. you start leading it and now I'm on national T V and now I'm doing all these things. I'm like, I guess I'm not quitting now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting I- how um poetic that can be, right? <laughs> It's interesting how poetic bowling can be like that, (laughs) where it's as soon as you don't care. Like how many times have you bowled in just like a local tournament or something small and you're shut out in the semifinal and you absolutely peer your last four shots and you lose by like three when you just had a 30 pin deficit. And it's like as soon as your brain is like, this isn't a big deal, it's just bowling, they all fall down again. (laughs)
1: Seriously, I had the, when I made the year that I made Team USA, it was the same thing. I was like, I don't care. You know, mm-hmm. like I had that I don't care attitude.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And which it, it's weird because I feel like that's such a bad attitude to have. But at the same time, for me, um, I think because I put so much pressure and so much stress on myself that it, it actually just gave me the freedom to go, mm-hmm. like just be me. Um, so. Yeah, that, it was just kind of funny because most of my successes were okay. I'm done with this. I'm mm-hmm. not quitting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I always had those minor threats. Like I, I can't tell you how many times, even over these past years of on the PWA tour, I'm done. I'm quitting. I'm, I'm done with this. I can't deal with this.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, so you've been on the PWBA tour since it relaunched, right? Yes. And we're still waiting on title number one. You've got a regional win. Um which was 2016, if my memory serves me right. Um, what's the uh, what was something that has surprised you um, since the tour relaunched and um, like what what has been the thing that's kind of been like you expected it to be one way and now it's substantially different than maybe what your expectations were when you when you started back on tour? Hmm. I
1: guess. The thing is is that from year to year, the things that I feel like I need to work on and get better at, the following year, it's the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. Like um, if we go back to like I think it was twenty nineteen, I felt like everything that we did, every all of our angles were like up the lane, and you had to like really keep it in front of you where this year was the complete opposite. Like our, you know, like you had to get it that way, but you had to get to get that way, like early. Like it wasn't like, okay, that way. It was like this way. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, okay, well, I'm glad I got really good at doing this. Now I got to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I mean, it's just a constant, it's a constant growing process. Yeah. Constant, you know, just getting comfortable with doing things that you're not super comfortable with and coming home and practicing and saying, you know, I gotta be better at this. I mean, I'm good enough to do it to where I'm an, like an average full or like 200. Like mm. most, I mean, very rare. I mean, like I had one besides the U.S. Open. I had one really bad tournament. But mm. other than that, uh, and I don't even really consider U.S. Open. Like I, I look back at that and I'm like, it's hard for me to really be upset. I mean, I'm upset because it was the U.S. Open. Yeah. But when I go back and I think about my performance, I, I'm not upset with myself and my performance um, it was just, it just, it was a struggle. I mean, it was a struggle to carry, you know, everybody yeah. had splits, everybody had, um, you know, difficulties. It was just that I couldn't put any strikes together. It would right. be like strike temp and strike temp and strike pocket at a time, right. you know, so instead of saving games that you normally would, I w- it wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. So now it was, and you weren't going to have those huge games to really help bring you back up. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I did feel like I hit the pocket a bunch and did not carry. But anyways, uh going back to my season, I just feel like that I need to I feel like I'm good at being in that that minus twenty, yeah. plus twenty range, something around that, around like the one in one ninety two hundred average. Mm-hmm. And I think that I really need to get better at overall just being better at those lines. Yeah. And ball reaction, obviously. Um
0: do, do you prefer a grind fest over a strike fest? Uh,
1: generally yeah yeah I think so warming.
0: I, I, mean. I know I do. Like I cannot stand house shot tournaments. I don't know where your mind is at on that, but you know I see yeah. I see a tournament Now, the, I think we can not that the US Open has no value in understanding that that is the grind fest, right but that's yeah. such an anomaly. That it was so damn hard. Like I didn't bowl on any of it, and I saw those four patterns, and I was like, "Well, those are impossible." Like the <laughs> like the first one was playable-ish. It appeared, yeah. and then and then you go to forty foot flat, which everyone knows is hard. Um, yeah. But it seemed like some shape developed in it late. But it's like then it's like, is eight games enough with? those lane panels being brand new, and we can have a whole discussion about that. (laughs) Um, And then you get into that third pattern, which is all forward oil, and I'm like, that's impossible. Like, I know somebody is going to absolutely bash this pattern, um, which Sherry ended up doing, but, you know, she rolls it so much differently. She's on the left side, whatever. And then the fourth pattern was, like, the fourth pattern was the hardest out of them all. Like, the the second got all the credit for being flat, but that – that taper that went backwards at the end of that fourth pattern, I was like, Every, that is going to ruin people's days. But that's the grind. Now, um, when I'm bowling tournaments, all I, I don't want a strike fest because I'm not going to keep up. Like, I have a really hard time putting together eight baggers. However... Let's shoot clean games and let me put in a double and a three bagger and put up a 213, put up a 220. And I'm going to do that 10 times because guess what? That other guy, he's not going to be able to do it 10 times. He's going to have two blow up games. So he might have a 240, but he's also going to have a buck 60 mixed in there. And I'm going to end up ahead. Um, but, and I think like the ladies' tour, to go back to your point about how it's changed, um, It's that's something else that I think I've seen is there are some tournaments that are absolute like you have to outstrike people maybe not World Series of Bowling level, Um, and then some of them that are just uh, Sonoma County or Sonoma Valley um, the went those couple years where they did the thirty seven foot flat back to back like total grinders. Um, You said you kind of prefer the grind fest, but like when you walk into a tournament, do you guys know what you're going to be bowling on? And like, what's the process of like, okay, getting your mind in the right place to be like, okay, I got to strike a lot this week or, you know, the spare ball is coming out a lot. What's that process kind of like?
1: I try not to think about that. Honestly, yeah. I try not to think if, oh, if I need to strike a lot or grind, um, I just feel like I just got to go out there play the lanes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause if you anticipate having to strike, because Everybody else is striking, you're not going to strike because yeah. now you're putting too much pressure on it. Yeah, and then if you're looking at it, oh, this is really hard, you know, it's really hard. Well, someone's going to shoot really good on it. Yeah, I'm just really hoping I'm that person that's going to shoot really good on it. Yeah, you know, because yeah. you know, there's going to be there. So, uh, maybe the difference is knowing that when there's when they are harder that I do have to be more patient. So if I am leaving the temp and be okay with, okay, I'm just going to keep controlling the clock. I'm not going to try to be, make any super risky moves to try to carry. Whereas when it's a strike fest, you're like, okay, well I got to do something and I have to do it now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually during, ger- like that's usually a decision during competition, not prior. Right. Um, I think prior is just okay. Uh, what surfaces do I think I need on my equipment? what bowling balls do I think this one might work? So this, this was my best one in practice. Uh, you know, just maybe getting a visual aid of, okay, we're going to start here and practice and then we have to migrate this way. We will just, uh, try to have a little bit of a game plan, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, spare shooting, you know, you always expect yourself to make spares. Um, sometimes on some of these patterns, uh, I do believe that spares, even if you throw it straight at it, um, I do think that the patterns will affect spares. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember there was a couple times where, like especially like the three six ten, you would throw it at the angle that you normally would. And it would hook just enough to chop the three pin off. Mm-hmm. Now, now, you say, okay, well, I got to make sure I get it there. And then you really do make sure that you get it there. And now all of a sudden, the ball hits that little bit of that oil because it's friction over here, but oil over here. So you hit that oil and it goes in a hydroplane. Yep. Now you got the three pin up and you got the other two, and it's like, oh my <laughs> god, is this the day we're going to have? <laughs> yep. I think this is the first year that I ever learned how to manage that because generally, when that happens, spare shooting is just miserable that day. And uh, those days, This year, um, usually my focus, my spare ball, is to be as aggressive as I can with it. I have to be really firm with it and make sure I have really good projection. Okay. Um, Just, you know, like that's just what works for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this year, uh, when that situation happened, it was actually just be soft with my hand, like just be really nice to the ball. Hmm. And when I was soft with it, it didn't react to the harshness of the dry or the oil.
2: Okay. So,
1: and on those tournaments where everybody was struggling to make spares, I actually did much better at making spares. And I know in the past that that wouldn't have happened, and that's definitely an improvement for this season. Mm-hmm. So, I take every little improvement that I can get. <laughs>
0: that's that's interesting that you have that observation. Now, again, I, I bowl as much as I can, and actually I found a similar thing. Um, quick question. Do you use plastic yeah. or do you use urethane?
1: Plastic. I use the dv poly, the black ball. Okay. Uh, it has to be black and it has to be DBA poly because I don't like having any kind of core or anything. I want my spare ball to go as straight as possible. And in my opinion, that is, in our line, that is the straightest ball in our brand. Okay. So.
0: Yeah, and you, you got a lot of choices now, too. We can get into the the seven brand thing now over the three. But, um, yeah, I found the same thing. And, actually, I think it goes a little bit to your point about how the angles have changed year to year, but like this for you know, last year, 2019 was so straight. Like everything was so long and like the patterns were so blended with forward and reverse. And it was like, if you didn't have that, that big tumbly roll, you were going to get caught in between so bad. Um, and then with that, then you have to fire your ball through the heads to get it to spare versus now with big angles. Um, it's softer. and one of the weirdest things that I've found, and maybe you've seen this too, is on long patterns, so anything beyond like 43 feet, um, my spare ball hooks at my toes and then it flies through the middle part of the lane, and then as soon as it gets to the end of a pattern, I have no idea what it's going to do because it <laughs> because it's either tumbling dead end over end, which I'm the same way. I use a coreless plastic um, or I, I, I had enough tilt to get it to spin through oil. And then as soon as it gets to the end, it just hooks that little bit And the three, six, ten is the nemesis for that because it's either a chop or it's either a chop or you get, or you get the one out of the middle, which I have unfortunately done too many times. Um, but I, I, I mean, am I, am I? You're the, you're the professional here. But like, is that kind of similar to what you're seeing with the longer stuff? And now, now that they're bigger angle patterns, where you can just be soft with it and just, just you know, the oil is going to be there. Just let the ball do the thing. I mean, I could be completely crazy. I'm not that good of a bowler. Oh, I
1: think it depends, and the. Generally, I have a very standard, like, this is how I release the ball. Okay. It's yep. just a very neutral position um, for my spares. Occasionally, um, when I have a lot of issues with um, it getting through the fronts, and, like I feel like it's like that that little bit of rotation is reacting to it. Yeah. I'll just like, take my hand from, like, a normal position this way, and I'll just flatten it in more and just really get, like, a more of a dead-over-end roll because, because – I, I still know I can hit my target and now I took a ball not to hook and now it's easier to get to the spot. Mm-hmm. That's something that I will put around. With. And then sometimes it would be off the angle too. Uh, with long oil, the ball doesn't quite make it that way. So like I feel like I cheat my feet an extra board to the right um, and on pretty much all my stairs So usually if I usually have this sheet with one stairs All the stairs Okay. And, and I just feel a little bit more angle Knowing that I need to get the ball going into that direction mm-hmm. And like When you get back to like a normal pattern Or a dry pattern you have to, <laughs> Your ball keeps missing You keep throwing it in the gutter like, <laughs>
0: Yeah absolutely I remember there was an event that I bowled this summer It was right after we had just bowled on God it was like a 30 mil 48 footer like, and it was just, it was awful. And, um, I bowled, a it was, I bowled, and then I went, uh, the, so that was on a Saturday and then I bowled on a 37 footer on Tuesday. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing with my spare ball. <laughs> like, I don't even know where it's going to go. I don't know what my hips are doing, my hand, all that. Um, but actually that does kind of lead me into wanting to go back to the idea of versatility. Um, how much. Like how much of your, you kind of just said it, like you have your typical release, you have your way of like throwing the bowling ball, but you're also able to play, you know, first to sixth arrow and everywhere in between. And now you've got four extra brands of bowling balls that you have access to here within the last 18 months or so, if that's my timing is uh, about right there. Um... What are you finding is, like, the thing that you have to adjust to? Or, like, maybe that, like, what was it this year? You kind of alluded to it with big angles. But, like, what have the moves been like? Have they been big moves, little moves? Like, what is the thing about your game that you're finding you're really having to push towards um, in, I guess, frequently in, in your maybe your physical game, mental game, uh, even just bowling balls? What's What's kind of, what's the thing you're transitioning to?
1: Definitely um, more of I would say the mental game side of it. Sure. Uh, it's been really hard to get out of your own head, um, especially when you have you missed a cut by a couple of parents and this missed a game by a couple of parents, and the mental just starts draining on you. And then. Um, you know, because it, that it, it's not that you're not physically capable of doing it; it's just now it comes down to the mental game, and then you know, and still making better decisions. And I feel like my goal coming out to uh, these events was making small little personal goals for myself, um, things that are achievable and, you know, committing to it, like, you know, committing to staying down in my shot or using my legs, um, or just keeping my mind relaxed, uh, and not getting caught up with focusing on my physical being. Um, I'm definitely that type of bowler that I just feel like physically I, I I mean, I look different in practice versus competition. I see it. You know, there's things that happen. I'm just like, I don't understand why this happens in competition. And I sometimes I really hate watching myself on video because I'm like, is that what I really look like? Um, but then again, you know, like when you get to competition, you have to stop beating yourself up over your physical game. You have to stop thinking about it as much as I do. And it's just really changing up my pre-shot routine, changing up the way that I went through it, and getting my mind – Focus on things that it need to be focused on, hitting the target. Um, if it was one or two little key things in my physical game, like okay, drive down with your legs, and make sure that when I get to that fourth step, I'm like, I'm down, and you know that helps me. In because that's not, it's not hard to do. It's mm-hmm. not like I'm making myself do something. It's just something that might need a little bit of attention.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or um, the other thing would be just focusing on the top of my swing being relaxed.
2: Mm-hmm. Again,
1: it's not something that's hard to do. It's just giving my mind something to be, be somewhere yeah. while not actually working on my game. And that was, those are the things that I was definitely striving towards. Um, ever since like, I want to say about the New York stuff, one of those, like I really mm. started just to transfer over into just focusing on the process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, I, the yeah. thing
1: that I've really been working on is getting different, um, layouts and, uh, different equipment in my hand. Um, between William Clark and Mike Wolf, well, they've both been really trying to help add into it. Um, there was conversations saying that there's too many of the same layouts in my ball involvement, ball and balls were going too forward at the back end, and it was making it to where it couldn't necessarily square up to the lanes, but like as soon as I would move away from it, the ball wouldn't continue down the lane, and it, they were saying that it could have been a lot of the issues that I was having just with ball motion. So right now, um, they've been, both of them have been great, uh, helping me, um, to help me with a couple of things with my footwork and, uh, you know, and it's just, it's, it's nice to have that support system to know that there's people there that are going to help you. Um, especially with things that I don't know a lot about when it comes to bowling balls. I mean, when we get, when it gets to lane play and bowling balls, cover socks, differential, I mean, yeah, we know about it and I, I'm sure that there's a lot of girls who know a lot more about it. But to me it's just like it's it's so hard to wrap your mind around it. it's it's so complicated and so confusing. Yeah. And I feel like there's I think what makes it hard for me is um maybe it's because I like to see things black and white. Mm-hmm. But this is what it is and this is what it's always gonna be. Mm-hmm. This is you know, this is not what it's gonna be. But there's always in this sport, there's always rules to the exception. I mean, there's always exception to the rules. Mm-hmm. Like well, you never bowl out on long. Well look at the look at the the tournament, and, um Spokane, mm-hmm. we bowl, all bowled out. But mm-hmm. the rule of thumb is you don't bowl out on a So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, there's no set of actual rules in the sport to, to abide by. Like, there's always these exceptions, and then you have to know when to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes it complicated because how do you learn something when it works 95% of the time in this situation, but there's still going to be that 5% that it's going to do something completely different.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was...
1: I was saying I, I would like to focus more on building my knowledge for the equipment okay. and playing plane ball reaction because I do feel like that we have great ball reps and everything and I think that they're amazing. Mm-hmm. But I would like to be a little bit more independent and not for myself right. and really start getting better with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a big thing, um, which I don't know, like you get to like ball specs and layouts and all that sort of stuff, which I'm a, I'm a physics dork. So when you talk about radius of gyration, I'm like, yeah, that thing. Um, and like, I loved when I first got into bowling and like really just wanted to bowl competitively, I was all about numbers. Like I figured out, um, how to lay out my own stuff pretty much instantly. And then like how to build arsenals around, uh, different numbers and like trying to, Trying to understand where each piece fit, and what I actually found was kind of it was a similar experience to what you're going through, but also for different reasons. Where um, I forgot to use my eye, <laughs> like I'm trying to outthink this this lane, this pattern, this you know this this event by using numbers to my advantage and like looking around and seeing what other guys are throwing and all that sort of stuff. And what actually happened was I was throwing the wrong ball because I was convinced it was the right ball because I wasn't looking at what my ball was doing um good example um this was this was a weird event it had rained that morning it was humid as hell but it was in minnesota and this was back when aj chapman still lived up there so he was balling and nick pate too and it was a it was statue of liberty which i think is 47 feet if my memory serves me right and everyone was just hammering on stuff left because it was long pattern and um what ended up happening was the only good look on a forty seven foot pattern that day was urethane. And I was like, huh? How does this ha- how? <laughs> how does that work? Um so like I think it's pretty cool for, for yourself to have access to people like Mike Wolf, which he's probably one of the smartest guys in the sport. He probably doesn't get a lot of credit for it. He's also got one of the best games ever. But um, that's that's cool though, that you have some, like that goal because like, I think that might be – and actually, is that something maybe that you've been missing for the last couple of years of like, give me something besides a title. Give me something to strive towards because when you were younger, that's kind of what you're talking about. Like, I – wanted to fulfill something that my coach laid out for me and like there was a right way to do it. And if I did that thing, it was fulfilling for, for me most importantly, but also for those that were around me and I saw progress because of it. Um, do you think that that's like the next thing for you to like give you that fuel to really propel yourself forward?
1: Yeah. I mean, I,
0: it's a Big question as, I'm much sorry. As, as, as
1: much as like the tournaments are disappointing and they're frustrating. Um, it makes me think more about the game. We yeah, should come back and be like, okay, well, the, our new game plan we get to practice, we're gonna be doing this, we're gonna be working on that. And, um, I think that unfortunately, not being not successful in those events propels me even harder to you know to work harder because I mean, I don't want to feel that way, I don't want to come back feeling like that sucked, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I do also think that there's a lot of things in my physical game you know, that I know needs to get better. And I promise I work on it. And I, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, also that, that when you were a kid, my coach told me to work on something. I worked on it. And bam. Okay. Got it. What's mm-hmm. next? You know, now I'm sitting here and my body wants to do one thing. And I'm like, no, 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 you gotta just sing out. Yeah. And I'm saying, no, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it, it's a lot harder. I mean, you have, what, 20 years of that, of, of certain habits that you're trying to get your body to do something different. It doesn't want to change as easy. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things I think that actually really kind of brought some light to my improvements was that I did pull up a video from maybe even college, like right after college, and I saw some, and I'm like, yeah, I guess I remember thinking that I was never going to be able to get my my uh, right, my fourth step to not step, like, 10 boards to the right, uh, the, you know, the stuff, you know, and now I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, it's actually straight to, you know, okay, crosses over, cool, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, I remember I couldn't even get it straight back then, straight, like, if, if I got it in a couple of boards, it was like hard. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess that, you know, I'm still always being hard on myself for not being where I want to be, but at the same time, when I look at this video, it's like, well, you, you're going in the right direction, you are getting better,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's just not as fast as you want to. Right. I mean, I've always come down to being patient
0: too. Yeah. You know you get, you, like you said you kind of get used to that rate of improvement early on and then like over time like inevitably the rate of improvement is going to slow down because not only are you um, you're bo- you're, you're, bu- you're potentially breaking those old habits that are really installed, but also the adjustments that you're making are so micro, and micro adjustments are really, really hard to make. Macro adjustments are easy, right? Like if I need to convert from a four-step to a five-step approach. That's an easier thing to teach, rather than well, when you're when you're hitting your timing point, your hand is like a quarter turn over the you know the side of the ball, and you need to be 100% around or behind it. Like that's such a small thing that can make such a big difference, and we understand that, but it's so hard to change. And it doesn't like when it feels it's hard right, to
1: feel something like that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're yeah.
1: even doing it.
0: Um, so, so it it is, it is hard to, to have even that perspective, like consistently of I am improving. Um, it's just, it's on little stuff and it's little things all the time. And like, and then I'm, I'm going to be good at one thing today and I'm going to be trash at something today. And then tomorrow it might be different. Um, actually I, I have a question that's, um, maybe might seem strange, but I promise there's a point. Are you a reader? Do you enjoy reading? Oh,
1: yes. Yes.
0: Have you read the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck? No. I recommend it. I, right
1: by the title, I could tell if I would like.
0: That. Yeah. So, um, so big thing for me is so in my professional life and personal life, um, I'm a big believer in growth mindset, and I try to I try to engage people on the concept of growth mindset as much as I can. So um, I caution most people before reading that book because it can be misconstrued very rapidly because mm-hmm. the principle of the book is, is, um, is to be like a duck. It's water off your back, right? It's, it, you can't let the mountains turn into molehills. You can't let the little thing in just completely overtake your mind. You have to have perspective. So the things that when you have perspective are small, don't care about them. Like they're going to happen. We're going to throw bad shots. We're going to have bad days, that sort of thing. And it's about focusing on the, the bigger things and focusing on the process and being able to, have a purpose behind what you do, rather than just being sucked into the the rigmarole and the mundane type stuff. But what happens when people um, re- refer to this book? is I always ask him, I was like, "Well, what do you actually care about?" Because if you if you if you don't care about anything, then you're going to care about nothing if you try to use this book, right? You have to have something that's like, "No, this is what's important over here." Like I'm focusing on this thing, and I don't give a fuck about the rest and I normally Mm -hmm. don't like to swear on this but um yeah I I would say uh check it out because um if you you know you talk about how you know that the the couple times where you really had that like really loose swing which propelled you towards success maybe that's what it was it was just being able to just nice deep breath out we're just gonna go do this thing because this is why we're here um and if you can have that mindset I don't know maybe it'll help I think you'll like it
1: I think I would too yeah uh it sounds like something I would like to read. It does make sense too. It's, um, because there, there are always these little things that we care about too much while competing. And uh, truthfully, you've got to just be. It's, it, it's hard. I think this is hard for me because this is not my personality. But when you're on the lanes, you have to be selfish. It's, it has to be mm-hmm. about you. And yeah. I, I don't think that, that that's something that's really easy for me to adapt to because that's um, not my personality in general. But um, you have to not care if you accidentally, like, you know, mess up or you offend somebody. I mean, anyway, I mean, why you say offend somebody? I mean, yeah. talk about like lean courtesy. Sometimes mm-hmm. you jump people, and, mm-hmm. or you're, you're, you're worried that you're taking too much time. And, you know, that's the biggest thing, especially bowlers who uh, don't know how to do the double jump. They just rush there and they just get up there. And it's like, you know what? This is my time. I need to do what I need to do to execute a good shot. So if that person has to wait for me, Sorry, you're gonna have to wait. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of trying to speed up my process to accommodate them, mm-hmm. and I think that's like so, like something that you just have to eventually learn how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sucks because that's that's how you have to be. Yeah, everything has to be more about you when you're on the lanes because it's about being successful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, it, it, I don't think it. For me, it's not the easiest thing to do.
0: Do you that's all I'm do you bowl USBCs the team championships? All that sort of stuff.
1: I have. Yeah. Um, It's sometimes just been hard to match up with our schedule since tour season's back. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because even if we can go to it, sometimes it's nice to have that week home to be able just Mm -hmm. to breathe and maybe even just get some work on your game and get some stuff figured out. So, yeah, traveling can be a little bit hard, you know, just being away from everybody. Plus, I do coach full time. So, okay. You know, I have people that are relying on me as well. So when I come home, you know, I want to be here for them as much as I can.
0: Yeah, for sure. The reason that I ask is um, that that idea of selfishness is actually something that I learned in that event because um, the first couple of years that I bowled it, um, you know, they, they give you that like three and a half hour warning. And we got red flagged the first year that I bowled it for bowling too slow because no one could strike. Because it was my first year bowling nationals, and no one knew what they were doing, and that's whatever. But um, uh, the so like two years after that, it was like a rush. It was a race. It was. I forgot that I was bowling, and I was just trying to be done bowling, right, because I didn't want to get red flagged, and then um, 2019 the, the, was the first year that our team shot over 3,000, and the entire goal the whole time was, yes, throw good shots, but we are going to be the last team done, like, take your time. Because guess what? They're gonna—they're not gonna kick us off. They're not gonna say you're done. Um, and what ended up happening was number one, we were the last team done, but um, <laughs> we no, nobody got flagged, nobody got red flagged because we struck so much more that we were just able to take our time in between our shots. And ever since then, it has completely shifted my mindset on like it doesn't matter what that person to my right's doing um, because I'm here to bowl. And I think in singles tournaments too. That's gotta be tough because like you know if some like you like you kind of said, if you're bowling a long pattern, you kind of know where you're supposed to play it. And then yeah. if you look two pairs to your left and there's somebody that is just hamming a 500 grit something up five, and then two pairs to your right, somebody who's into fifth arrow and you're just like, man, if we all played this together, this would be so much easier why aren't they doing that? And then you're playing it right. Like the (laughs) correct way. Is that something that you like, is that kind of what you're referring to where you're like, you're not selfish in that way?
1: No, not, not that way. Okay. Okay. I didn't feel like that with the women's store, generally we all either eventually find our way to the same spot or we're very close. I don't feel like anybody really plays them bad. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, it, 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 mostly you experience that when you're bowling with amateurs or like regionals and stuff where everybody's a little bit over the place and you just have of surface, or maybe even you, you have a couple of new bowlers in there that just don't, aren't as experienced mm-hmm. that might do that. But the um, ratio is not there so much. I mean, most of the women, we all find the same spot or same kind of area or breakpoint. I mean, how we get to it's obviously different. Like nobody's going to do it the way Daria does it or Maria. <laughs> right. Um, but we still are generally doing very similar stuff. Yeah. Like the break point.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I, 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 found that I, with, I, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're, no, you're I was, good.
1: I, I was referring to like a lot of like new bowlers who come in they just start rushing because, Oh, I got Kelly Keelock. Oh, I don't, I don't want her waiting on me, you know? And mm-hmm. you know, even sometimes like I just like to have a little extra second and I might even skip my turn, especially if, we are a threesome and everybody's a foursome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I might just say, hey, go ahead. But then they feel rushed so they have to go. And I'm like, no, just, just take your time. I don't mind waiting. Just, you mm-hmm. know, I, I don't want other people to feel like they have to rush for me. Mm-hmm. And I guess the biggest thing that what really triggered my mindset was that I was always caring so much about what other people were thinking or, like, being so courteous to them. And you realize that they were just – they didn't care. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like they didn't care if they were that courteous. Like, when I get the shot, I don't care if I'm going to take a long time or not. Uh, you know, we're talking about, like, the better players. because They're going to go out there and do what they need to do mm-hmm. to throw that strike. So yeah. if they are going to take yeah. a longer time, they're going to do that. And it's like, well, why am I caring so much about what everybody else is thinking when they're so focused on them and they don't care? So I'm like, I started thinking about it, and I'm like, well, because the ultimate goal is to go out there and be successful. We're not friends. We're not supposed to be best friends all on the lanes. We're supposed to be competitors. I mean, yes, we have friendships and we're friends off the lanes, but when yeah. you're on the lanes, it's, it's, that's our job. This is our money. This is our livelihood. It, you know, as it, as um, brutal, brutal as it sounds, like your mindset has to be different. Yeah. It's unfortunate, because that's not like I said. That's not my personality, but.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's you, you, you kind of referred to it earlier that you're really competitive, but I think there's a diff, there's, there's maybe two mindsets and maybe, maybe, maybe I'm catching on to something here where you're, you are competitive against yourself. Like you want to execute to the highest level that you can and maybe not necessarily, cause that's, that's what bowling is, right? Like bowling is you against yourself. You will only bowl as good as you let yourself bowl. Um, there's really, you know, we're not in, we're not bowling on a team in, in most of our environments. Um, and we're certainly uh, not bowling quote unquote against somebody. You know, there is technically you can play defense if you really have to, but if you play defense, you're never going to really win. Uh, bowling is you against 60 feet and 10 pins. And if you can be really, really competitive with yourself, um, that will get you really, really far because mm-hmm. there's so much that you can do to make yourself better. But there is also that mindset of like, I need to step on some throats today. And that's hard. That's so hard for, I think a lot of people to do it, it, And maybe not to that level, but is that kind of what you're referring to where it's like, no, I, I need to beat these people mm-hmm. now too.
1: No, not so much for that one because I'm, <laughs> I'm okay with being people.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay.
1: And, you know, sometimes I'll like, you know, even if it's like a, a tournament where uh, I'm not bowling well, yeah. right now I'm not going to make the cut. But I'm also, I don't give up on any event. Like I still, you know, I still have that, like, oh, well, we could still shoot amazing and possibly make it. So then sometimes I'll be like looking at a certain bowler, like, okay, me and this person are close. And it might be like, a really good bull or someone that I respect and be like, okay, I'm going to beat them. But like, you know, like just to have something like to, to kind of like push forward because, you know, just to keep it competitive, even though like I might be like 200 points out of the cat or something mm-hmm. or whatever yeah. it is, you know? Uh, Cause I do like that competitiveness. I do like, like, you know, trying to, to you know, competing against other people as well, because like I said, I am very competitive. I do have a lot of personal goals and I do I am part of myself in that way as well. And I think that's why I do like practicing because I, I do have that that personal competitiveness as well, but I wouldn't say that it's more one way or over the other.
0: Okay. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, okay. What's your favorite place to bowl at?
1: <sighs> can, I say, can I say my home bowling center? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Nothing wrong with that. Um, I think I, you know, honestly, I think I really liked bowling at Fountain Valley, and mm. it unfortunately is not. On our t- I'm not sure if they closed down or if they're just not on our tour anymore. But um, they, they were definitely one of my favorite places to visit. Um, I always bowled very well there. I liked the lanes; it matched up really well. Um, plus, the owner of the bowling was amazing. He would every year he would throw out like this big um, barbecue party for the girls, and you know it just always felt very welcoming as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, Reno used to be my very favorite until they changed the lanes. Because I used oh. to bowl very good at that center, and then once they uh, went over and they changed the lanes, uh I don't bowl bad there. It's it just not as good.
0: <laughs> Isn't that crazy how big of a difference that that made? Like, because mm-hmm. when they switched panels in, was it twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen?
1: It's around
0: there at least. It was, it was. It was right after Matt McNeil ran everyone over two years in a row, <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's it, it, actually interesting because that was before then. That was a prototypical like lefty house. What was it about pre new install that you really liked about the stadium?
1: I can't say I knew a hundred percent because I know what I think. Some of what you think you see versus what you actually see are two different things. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, obviously struck a lot there. Uh, when we had uh, back when I won the regional, we actually got to have like a, a mini event there. I made team USA there. I, I placed ever with that Queens there. Um, I think that because I think what I did like at the time was that I think because the lanes I think are a little bit angled down and a little bit this way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like I struggle getting my ball through the front part of the lane. Now it, I, I'm explaining it properly. It's more of what my eye sees mm-hmm. versus I, I'm not sure that's what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. But um, with my ball roll and my speed. I feel like it's hard for me to get the ball to go that way, easy because it hits the lane and wants to do that. Mm-hmm. So when I get up there and I throw the ball and I can see my ball has a certain cleanness to that spot, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I, I don't have to fight it. I don't have to make it. And I think that's also something that I need to still get better at because even on our tour, when I see long whale and low volume, I'm like, all right, we're going to we're gonna have to play some tricks today, you know, mm-hmm. just because it just doesn't work out well for me. But ultimately, I think it was just more of like knowing that my ball is going to get through that part of the lane and it created that motion that I really liked to see. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, and I, I think that I'm not sure if there's anything major different now from then. It's just, I haven't been as successful and usually I never really struggled
0: with that summer. Mm-hmm. I think it's different. Um, it's hard to say specifically what is different about it, but any, any time you change your, your friction um, environment, it's going to be different, but the fall classic is out there in October, right?
1: Uh, yes. Yes. No,
0: it's good. It's all we, we, we switch gears and then we switch back there for a second. But uh, are, are you, you're going out for the fall classic, right?
2: Yes, okay,
0: good. See, there you go. That'll that'll be the one. You'll be able to get back where you really like to bowl. You'll be able yeah. to get your ball through the heads, and then you're just gonna outstrike everybody, right? Like, it, I think that that's a part of the mindset that you got to walk into that with. Like, hey, I love going out there, and then um, I don't remember how did you do at the Queens this year because that was in the stadium too, right?
1: I like at uh, the Queens. I bowled so well, and I I just missed the cut and. Okay. It I just couldn't get the ball to go through the pins, yeah. and I feel like sometimes when like I'm struggling with most of my events, it's like I just don't get. I it was a lot of ten pins,
2: mm-hmm.
1: a lot of spares I had to make. Uh, just you know, you I missed for all of the games. Like it was 15 games. I think it was one actual one single pin and maybe two makeables. Mm-hmm. When you think about that for 15 games, that's all I missed as far as routine spares. And if it, you know, if it was even that much, and I didn't even make a cut, mm-hmm. like I just, you know, and that one came down to having a strike. Yeah. It, it, it the cut was still. It wasn't super high, but you still had to. What was it like? Was it negative? Was it positive One? I, mean, I, I guess you didn't have to strike I, that much.
0: I thought it but, was like minus 20. Because one of my, one of my friends from up here, she flew out there and she, she was like 63rd and it was just right around even, but yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it was around even. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the cut was at like either minus one or a positive one, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And I wasn't, I was only, I wasn't a lot of pins, like maybe 20 pins short or something mm-hmm. when you really look at it. And I mean, there's so many shots that you're just in there like that, that one just struck, you know? And mm-hmm. Um, and then when I had to make change angles, my ball reaction did something a little bit different. Um, yeah, that was another tournament that I walked away. Like there's sometimes I'll walk away and be like, I, I gave it everything I got. I executed good shots. I had a good mind for me I did what I did, and it just didn't happen. Yeah. And fortunately, that was the U S open and the Queens this year, yeah. which
0: is
1: pretty miserable that I had to be on two big events. But.
0: Well, the other thing about that is the U S B C events are so hard. Like just in, at least on the, the ladies tour, I don't like the men's tour. Like, I think that they're actually nicer to the men um in terms of like building the lane patterns, but like the, the Queens pattern was really hard. Um And then the, especially with trying to get it to go through the pins the right way. Uh, but yeah. then the U S open too, I think like, I don't, I don't remember the gentleman's name that actually designs the patterns. I want to say his name's Nick. Um, but like, that's like really just mean some of the stuff that they put together. Cause I think he was the same guy that did all the patterns in 2017 and 2018, or there was like, there was a similar group and that was just like, all of those were just so savage. And mm-hmm. if you didn't, that
1: I think I really liked it, to be
0: honest. But that was when you were, you were kind of saying that you had to get your ball to get end over end, right? Mm-hmm. And that, but it, well,
1: I Well, if it was a year where, like, it, I think it, it was a grind fest for everybody, I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: I remember, like, okay, you come out and you shoot 180, and it's like, okay, that's a good game. And it's like, okay, I can do that. <laughs> that's what I do every tournament, 180s 190s
0: that's it's such a I think there's so many people that walk into those tournaments though with a mindset like hey I'm gonna shoot 230 and it's like uh-uh. this tur- this pattern is not gonna let you shoot 230 every game and it seems to be the USBC ones and I think it all started the when I recognized it it was when Andrew Anderson won the Masters out in Syracuse because that pattern was freaking impossible um, how he was able to do what he did with playing that part of the lane and actually strike a ton was weird. But then I was like, wait, Every single time USBC is putting together one of these events, they're putting together the hardest possible patterns that they can. And this US Open was the, yeah. the like, it was just a conglomeration of just freaking impossible patterns. Um, now, I know we kind of talked about it and we don't have to sit on it for too terribly long, but what was the thing that, what was the barrier for you? Was it, was it physical game stuff? Was it getting your hit ball through the fronts? Was it the mental thing? What was it about that tournament that kind of got to you? Uh,
1: I think it was just carrying, just getting ball through the pants. Like,
0: yeah.
1: I mean, it was hard. I mean, especially when you go strike, 10 pin strike, pocket 7-10 split. And, now, like, and there was a lot of pocket 7-10 splits. I mean, not just for me, from everybody. Yeah. So. You know, now you're the pocket, and you're the pocket slits, and now it's like, okay, well, now I'm open and I can't double to cover it up. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that playing the lanes better, being smarter, um, maybe have a different equipment, maybe we only could choose, like or not only because it's like ten and
0: <laughs> Well, come on, well, like well, you.
1: Well, even like when we had the first pattern, like I thought I was going to crush the first pattern because I had amazing ball reaction in practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't just on one pair of lanes. Like I traveled across the center, and it was good everywhere. And I was like, okay, cool. Then we had our ten minutes of practice, our thirty minutes, of an hour, or whatever before we started. Ball reaction was amazing, and I'm like, okay, today's a good, good, good day. You know, even had a great mindset, felt good. Got to my pair of lanes, and I was like, like it was, not, it was not there. Like it was the ball motion was not there. And it's like, yeah. what is this? You know, and. Um, I think what made it really hard as well was the differences from lane to lane and pair to pair because there were definitely some pairs that you had to move further left and then you get caught up being far left because it's always hard to go back right when you're left. And there were times where we actually had to get back to the right and, um, you know, like I said, just making smarter decisions mm-hmm. is really when I think about most of my bowling, I always to I wish I would have changed to that ball or that line or mm. that release. Just do that a little bit differently because as much as I may not be happy with where my physical game is, realistically, I can shoot two threes, I can shoot two forties. I can hit my target. You know, as soon as you see a little bit of area, your swing listens up, You can I can throw a good score.
2: So, mm-hmm.
1: you know, as a capability of a bowler, it's there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can't be blaming so much on my physical game all the time. And, you know, it has to, this game isn't even as, you know, they are hard, uh, like US Open is obviously the exception, but uh, this game is changing more to being uh, an area game, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, even if you look at the, the Empress of the Lanes event, mm-hmm. and it, there, there's absolutely no disrespect to any bowlers because I think everybody's fantastic. But when you look at the lines and the angles, even when you see the people who were on top of every line, every angle, they lost the games to somebody who may have had a wider like range. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It's the fact that that person had the right paw and the right part of the lane, and they created an area, because now that's more the game is transferred into is being a smart player, getting the right ball in your hand, being in the right part of the lane, because now you're creating area for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not as much as being precision. If you have area and you're precise, now it's, it's bonus. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. That's probably, um, that's been one of the most interesting things in trying to coach is um, being able to let, because I coach high school, is let kids figure out, okay, it's it's maybe not about hitting the exact same spot at the arrows every time it's about having a loose swing and being matched up because if you if you're loose and you have a little bit of area and you got the right ball and you're in the right zone you don't really have to be perfect you can yeah. be you can be really good and like it'll strike a lot it may be not strike every time but you're never going to strike every time and yeah that's that's actually um I think that's a really good example with the Empress stuff because, um, you know, I watched every ball of that entire tournament. And, um, you know, I, I, I thought that Daria was throwing the wrong ball, throwing the IQ two or that she was throwing. Because the ball motion sucked. Like, I like Daria. I think she's a phenomenal bowler. Um, yeah. And I was like, why aren't – because she ball changed in a fill ball to a Zen. And I was like, that's good motion. And then she went back to it and then she won. And I was just like, you just can open her eight hits. (laughs) Like, like that's not supposed to work. and, And it's just, you know, right, right ball, right zone. And maybe it isn't pretty, but that's, I think, I don't know. Do you have a hard time? Do you have a hard time convincing yourself that a look like that's the right look where it's just, it's just the pins just hit each other and it's just crumbly and gross
1: um yes and no. Um yes, because you want to see that the 10 back or you know, that strike. Yeah. Um but sometimes that actually isn't what the lanes need or what they call for. I mean every and there's different from them to like light hits versus um heavy hits and um is you know, sometimes it gets down to the point where we try to make adjustments off oper- of seeing what our ball is going through the pins because we have all this knowledge. But the ball's striking. It's, I, like, I did that at that person of the lane. Uh, not the empress. person, I'm sorry. The Queen Storm in a goal this weekend. Mm-hmm. I made a ball change. And I went to, like, my knockout, and I am just, like, watching you down the lane. And I'm like, Ugh. I was like, I don't like how it's going to the pins. But I have three strikes in a row, four strikes in a row, and I'm like, it's striking. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. I don't have to like what it, what it looks like as long as the pins are going down. And, you know, and I end up using it, and it was really good. It may not have looked, may not have matched what my eye liked to see, but Mm -hmm. maybe what my eye wanted to see wasn't right because, you know, while reactions that I liked, things that I saw, I would love 10 pins. And I know with that tournament, there was a lot of high scores that there was no room to be leaving 10 pins. There was no room to be not striking at that point in time. So when I got a ball that did strike, it didn't really matter. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter what it looked like.
0: Right, right. And it,
1: gave me, and it did give me area too, so mm-hmm. I, I had a little bit of miss room. Now, granted, maybe a miss was either a strike or a pin, but it was in the pocket, and that's good enough for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say if every tournament, if you can get nine or ten, like ninety percent of your shots, you're gonna be damn close, <laughs> if not well above most of the field. Um, what was the event that you bowled this weekend? Because I know you won on Saturday. Tour.
1: It was a princess queen's tournament.
0: Okay. Um,
1: a lot of local bowlers came out and bowled it. and have like different age—I mean, not age. I'm sorry, different average divisions. So, okay. like, maybe like a one fifteen under. So, and the lower divisions, when you win, you're considered to be a princess. And then when you win the the, the highest one, the two hundred above average one, then you're a queen. Mm-hmm. And that was. That was my division. Um, we did have a lot of good bowlers come out to the event, uh, a lot of good local bowlers. Um, it wasn't easy. Yeah. But by any means. I mean, like I said, like, every time I looked up, somebody was shooting two fifteen and I'm just I'm like, okay, I'm going to just take my .220, 230. Yeah. You know? And just stood in my game saying, you know what, I can't control what other people do. I can't control if they're striking a lot or whatever. The only thing I can control is what I'm doing. I'm executing good shots. I'm just – biggest thing was making um better decisions on the lanes um so a good friend of mine uh i'm not gonna mention any names because i know he's yeah. not gonna want me to yeah. mention any names so he's the person who wants to help me just to help me mm-hmm. um he's been practicing with me and he knows i've been struggling with ball motion and uh we were discussing things that like when i'm in a tournament what would my process be and changing bowling balls or equipment or how would you see the lanes and we were on the lanes with my equipment and we were playing different angles and well you see when your ball did this you temped or it didn't even come back when you got to the spot it did something different and really just showing me the difference in my equipment and how I can utilize it differently um and I texted him after I was like hey you know the stuff that we talked about I use and the, the biggest thing that he had told me was that you know, when we have our arsenal laid out from, like, our most aggressive earliest balls to our weakest balls going this way, um, you know, we try to follow too much of an order, like, from this ball to this ball to this ball to that ball, and then we find, like, you know, we slowly work our way around. When he said what you actually should be looking for is if your ball has a certain motion, a certain shape, your next ball down should be a weaker version of that type of ball, mm-hmm. and I was doing like, okay, so I'd go from my obsession tour to my Black Widow to probably my knockout, but it's like I, in my mind I'm like, well, these never work because my knockout's too early or or not my knockout, my um, Game Breaker Four. I mean, it's too early, mm-hmm. and uh, really starting to categorize. So like, I sat down and I categorized all my bowling balls. Like, okay, uh, by shapes. Like, okay, this is a shape that I see from these four or five balls. These are shapes. Now, the order of it is like all over the place. Like, Mm -hmm. they're not like actually in order, but they're like now I'm categorizing my arsenal by shapes that Mm -hmm. I see. So now, when I got to change balls, I'm not thinking about the other equipment. I'm thinking of this certain ball. Mm -hmm. Unless I feel as though I need something a little bit different because of the part of the lane that I'm getting into. Mm -hmm. But overall, seeing a certain shape and following a shape of a ball versus a weaker going off. Okay. Well, this is differential. This is RG. Mm-hmm. This ball's weaker and we're going down our arsenal that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is actually what I did do. And even to like, you know, like from when I made my adjustment from my obsession tour to my knockout, it, you know, like I skipped about like three, three, three or four blind balls to mm-hmm. get to it. Yeah. But i made it because of what we discussed and it worked and, You know, that's something that I think I'll be excited to really start uh, getting better with and utilizing, you know. And, I mean, I I did compete in tournament yesterday, and I did still have the same thought process, same Mm -hmm. everything. And I felt like I bowled very well, Mm -hmm. very high scoring. So, I mean, I came in, like, 17th. There was only two of us, Verity and me were the only two females out of uh, all guys' field. Mm -hmm. We bowled on um, Dead Man's Curve, which was, I believe, 43 feet, uh, 24 mils. Mm -hmm. So um we had to get deep like <laughs> I was I look at dots. Uh, I, I actually got oh, okay. and dots. Yeah. Uh, not dots fell the feline a little bit past. Mm-hmm. Uh my eyes got to about I think like 30 at the dots Woo! like that. <laughs> and,
0: well then yeah, yeah that, I, I, that, I, that I pattern had, had to have was, just gotten yeah, shredded
1: the later ones, but yeah you can see how deep I actually did have to get. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that, like, my last two games was a 195 and a 184, and even, like, I keep going back and I'm thinking about those games, and I'm like, I wish I either knew what to do better in those event games or made a little bit better adjustments, but I still tried utilizing the adjustments that I was already learning and I'm already trying to apply it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still learn from it, and I'm still getting to the point where I'm like, okay, well, execution was good that tournament. Just yeah. really came down to the ball reaction, just yeah. making better decisions. Mm-hmm. And us something that the really good players do. They're just really good at their equipment and knowing
0: what did to change to. Yeah. That's, I think that's going to be an awesome strategy for you because like you said, physical game is, is there you're going to have your micro adjustments and and things that you're working on. But um, one thing that even I've done and I've coached people to try to do with building arsenals, especially with kids because you've only got like access to maybe three or four is find Bowling balls that even just like pair well together. So if I'm in this part of the lane with this ball and then that goes away, what's the ball that pairs with it? Like just, let's just think about this in groups of two. Um, so I, I, you know, in, in a nice part about that is let's take the obsession tour, for example, and then, well, now they've got the gold ball. Like maybe, and now I, I haven't thrown the gold ball, but maybe, you know, that's the right part of the lane for that ball. And if it's just, this one's not working, try this one. And then if that doesn't work, get a different pair of two bowling balls, go to a different zone and try those because you just, (laughs) you're just kind of restarting. I don't know. Is that maybe I'm probably crazy, but I've always thought about it in groups of two. Yeah, no, that
1: that does make sense too. Mm -hmm. I agree.
0: Um, let's talk a little bit more about the Empress Show because that's got to be one of the coolest environments that you've ever bowled in, honestly. It was so
1: much fun, I loved it, every bit of it.
0: Yeah, well, like, um, yeah, tell tell me about Bayside.
1: You know, the people are amazing, everyone's mm-hmm. so friendly very welcoming. Um, you know, PBA, uh, I enjoyed working with everybody. I, you know, Danielle was. Is super nice and just very attentive. Um, and I just overall was a very fun event, and mm-hmm. I hope to have the opportunity to do something like that again because mm-hmm. um, it was definitely different and it was fun, um, competitive. It had had every, and it. I know that like a lot of viewers at home are like, "Well, we don't like when the audience, you know, chants like that or whatever." But I think that that actually adds a little something. Like it actually makes it fun for the players as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong for other people, but for me. It was fun. It was fun to be able to engage with them. You know? mm-hmm. And I think that Daria is also that person where she like, she feeds off of that environment, that crowd. And um, mm-hmm. I personally loved it. Yeah.
0: Um, um, so, actually, that leads me to another question that I have for you because um, I have my own theories. But um, how, does, how does Ashley Galante make the game of bowling better?
1: How do I make the game of bowling
0: better? Like in your opinion, like not, not necessarily like what do you contribute to improve the sport, but like if you could change anything about bowling, what would you change about it in, in your opinion to make it, make it better from the professional level, from the amateur level, anything like, what's the thing that like, just kind of grinds your gears a little bit that you'd love to fix?
1: I guess. I truly believe that this is a sport, and I think that outsiders don't view it as a sport, mm-hmm. um, even to the to the aspect of it not being in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And to me, I would like the adjustments, whatever needed to be made, for viewers to be able to see as more of a sport and be able to be in the Olympics, whether it's uh, – now, I mean, I, I think some of the stuff I would say is very unrealistic, but maybe – being able to take away uh, bad carry versus lucky carry. Yes, I, mm-hmm. I mean, you can have a, somebody who threw a great shot and, like, okay, the pins were off rack or something. And mm-hmm. now they got back to 7-10 split. And then the other person goes, run away, Brooklyn, and wins. So, I mean, there's still a very – there's a luck factor to the sport. Um, but, I mean, you still have to put yourself in that position to be lucky. I mean, right. there's still a lot of it to it that people don't view. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: there's also the scoring aspect of it, uh, which has been around for centuries. And I, I don't really have a problem with it, but when you think about like going into the Olympics and you're seeing how other outsiders view it, um, you and I could be bowling against each other. We can literally have the same exact score. So you have nine spare strike, nine spare strike. And all my nine spares are together, and all my strikes are together. And now you're only shooting 2-0, where I might be shooting 2-20, to 30 It has a huge difference for having the same exact score. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's also something that is being viewed as, uh, you know, different for our score. And they do play around. Like when you see some of the the events that the guys have done in the past, mm-hmm. they play around with a different type of scoring system. Mm-hmm. I believe a lot of it is because they're trying to figure out some a way to eliminate some of that that factor of you know, having the same score and two different scores. Mm-hmm. Um, that way, maybe eventually could also be the Olympics. Interesting. Not, I'm not really sure why it's not. I'm not really sure if I'm even accurate or not. That's just more of a personal opinion. Yeah. No. That's and that's, it, a, that's all I was asking is, for. That's kind of what I would I would change because I believe bowling should be in the Olympics. Yeah. I think that it is a very challenging sport, and I think that we are competitors. I think we are athletes, and we deserve that opportunity. Mm-hmm.
0: To be there. I completely agree. And if the ladies tour shows an example of anything is that it is also an international sport. Like, literally every corner of the world, there's all these women that are coming to the United States to bowl 12 events a summer. Like, everywhere. And, I, yeah, I completely agree that it... I
1: know the best are the best, too. I mean, especially when you have, like, Singapore coming out. Yeah. Uh, Malaysia, I mean, they're they're great competitors. They mm-hmm. really are. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that's not even to get into. Now, I don't know a lot of the women's side, but the men's bowling in Dubai is ridiculous.
1: Mm-hmm. Like where
0: Rafik, because that's where Rafik is from, I believe, is from Dubai. Like they yeah. have so many guys that are so good. Like, I don't know why it's not. Everyone that I've talked to about it says it's a money thing which I think is dumb, but it's cause it's the Olympics. Like how much, I get that there's money in the Olympics, but I, I don't know. I, I hopefully one day we will see it get into the Olympics. But, um, actually that transitions me into my theory that I want to throw at you because, um, like I said, when we kind of started, you've built a social media following that is pretty substantial. Um, I think the way that bowling uh, from a professional level improves is, number one, there has to be more money injected into the sport. I think that's, you know, because 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 of the fact that golf and bowling coexist in this ether of like, well, if you're a golfer, you're a bowler, and if you're a bowler, you're a golfer type thing. Um, but golf, you know, Roy McIlroy is making $300 million a year or some ridiculous amount of money. Um, I think we need to have the opportunity to inject more money into the sport the way that you're yeah. going to do that is through sponsor money, right? Well, what do sponsors want? They want eyeballs. They don't necessarily care about the talents or like the fact that, you know, somebody's playing the lane the right way and the difference between good and bad carry, which makes the sport better, but they want eyeballs. They want attention. They want people to see okay. their name on TV. And I think the way that they do it is you have to, I think the, the athletes, if they can create a, an environment where they, when they're on TV, it's not necessarily about I go watch bowling. It's no, I'm going to go watch this person bowl because I follow her on Instagram and she's got a cool TikTok channel and I really want her to win. So I'm going to be deeply invested in this. Uh, Brad and Kyle are also another good example because when they're on TV, ratings go through the fricking roof. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, So now think about that in the macro though. Think about having an entire TV show of five ladies that have significant social media followings and they're able to be like, Hey, we're going to be when we're we're in these finals and they happen to be on CBS sports or whatever it ends up being on. You want to watch. Like it's not necessarily like compulsory that somebody does, but also that to me is something where it goes from giving the TV entities the bargaining chip and it takes it back because it's now it's not CBS sports is allowing us on TV. It's they don't have a choice because our ratings are going to be so high when this happens, because there are five people that they want to be or that their audience wants them on national TV so bad they can't say no. And then when they yeah. can't say no, then it's like, well, cause the sponsor dollars are all going to come flooding in. Am I, I'm now, I'm a theorist, but I think I'm onto something there. And you've, you've had the social media following for a long time. How has that kind of played out for you?
1: Um.
0: <laughs> I'm crazy. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> well, um, me, can you explain your question
0: a little bit better? So so yeah, I guess there was more, I, I, I guess maybe I didn't have much of a question in there, but um, it, do you do you think that if there was more of a an ability out of the the, the large majority of the field to generate attention in through the channels of social media? That it would improve viewership and therefore improve sponsorship and therefore make the game better.
1: By us having, um, you know, like you said with Brad and Kyle, they have a big viewing, and um, ratings go up when they are on TV. Just as so, so, I know back in a long time ago, Pete Weber was that person as well, and mm-hmm. uh, Jason Belmont, is still one of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that. It's a uniqueness. Like, I think Jason has captured an outside audience based off of his his branding, mm-hmm. but also the uniqueness of, you know, everyone knows Jason as the two handed bowler. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember we were at a tournament and we walked in town and there's a whole baseball team and they we saw we we're bowlers. And we're like, oh, do you know Jason Belmonte? And it's like, well, it's really cool that a whole baseball team that's obviously not bowlers, but they know Jason Belmonte. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so if he's on TV,
0: I'm sure those people, that would probably be uh,
1: question They'll watch it because
0: of him. <laughs> Are we good? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just, it's just one of my crazy theories because that's one of the things that I really want this to kind of turn into is um, – really just giving people like yourself the opportunity to engage on a different platform that can develop an audience that maybe isn't exclusively just bowlers because I love marketing. I love bowling. So let's just put these two things together because if we grow the sport, um, everyone's life gets better. You know, we don't, we, we, if, if we can, if we can make, you know, the last cash spot go up three times in value, everyone's life gets better. Um, so that's one of the things I think accessibility to professional athletes is the way that is a way that that can be done because the more, um, the more that we're able to put a, a human to the face that we see on TV or on flow bowling or on bowl TV, the the better our viewership will be and everything else that comes with that. So, I think that you've like I said, I think that you've kind of done that. I don't know what your response was after being on the Empress show cuz that was your most recent national TV experience. Was there, you know, how did you get a did you get a big pour of DMs into your Instagram after that or kind of what was that kind of like?
1: Um I do, I, my following did go increase from it, for yeah. sure. Um, and I, I do think that there was a lot of messages as well. Yeah. Uh, that I try to do my best to keep up with. Um, yeah, it's tough. I, I'm not just a full-time bowler. I have a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, life can be very challenging at times because I, uh, like you can see, I probably post more on social media when I'm traveling mm-hmm. than exactly. when I'm home. Mm-hmm. because I have downtime, I'm at the airport, I have time to work on stuff, I'm at the hotel, you know, when I'm home, I'm like, I'm always on the go, so I don't even feel like I engage nearly as much, mm-hmm. uh, or even have as much time as I wish I did have for it, um, but yeah, the Empress of the Lanes was something, I think that was just a great opportunity for all of us, I mean, the, the exposure of, of women's bowling, uh, you know, and being able to throw, I mean, it was really cool for me, because like, you know, the, the last time I was on a TV show was when I was a kid, so just, people haven't seen me on TV, and it was kind of cool to know that, you know, I was there and, you know, bring more awareness of, hey, I'm a bowler, too. Mm-hmm. It, even though I do strongly believe that, um, you know, when you make a TV show, like at our events, it's, you know, you have to earn it. You have to belong there, too, mm-hmm. and I, I think that that's a, it's very important as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that, it was great. And I think that PBA really did a great job of marketing and creating an aspect of like throwing a lot of money into the program. Um, I'm pretty sure Daria probably, she didn't win, but she probably made the most money out of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> because of, yeah, I, I just, because of how everything worked. I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to say something like that, but yeah, it just, it was really cool. Cause they, they did, they did put a lot of money into the program mm-hmm. and, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. And they had a lot of, um, what, I can't think of what the term is I'm thinking of but uh, just uh, incentives like okay, oh, it's an incentive yeah to win a match and mm-hmm. um, yeah they did they did a lot with all of that um,
0: I yeah and, I, I had well, no they, idea I think
1: it was really cool what they did with the beer you know like hey we're taking out six strikes all that was fun I mean I think that we wanted to strike as much as the audience wanted us to just so that we can go like ring the bell and be able to pop open a can of beer yeah <laughs> um,
0: yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, it's at the very least, it's different, right? Like, it's maybe yeah. maybe it's not the the best or most correct answer, but it is something different. And I think it it add in that environment. I think it probably added an element that was more of a positive than a negative. Because if you do that at like, you know, if you do that at the Queen's show where there's you know professional stipends for like crowd engagement or like doing something yeah. rowdy, it's like well. They used to literally find Pete Weber for doing the exact same thing. <laughs> so I don't know if that's maybe the correct answer for that setting. Um, yeah. But it is different. So you well, when get... you
1: think about other sports, I mean, you have crowds that are constantly engaging. You have, mm-hmm. um, when you think about hockey, football, basketball, the, the audience is always loud. Mm-hmm. They never stop cheering. Mm-hmm. They're always rooting for you, booing against you. And in our sport, it's like, oh, if you. Move even an inch. Don't don't you do that? You yeah. know, and <laughs> in, in my opinion, as athletes, aren't aren't we supposed to be prepared? Like, I mean, I get it. it it's distracting, but mm-hmm. mentally, aren't we supposed to be strong enough to be able to stay focused and, and not let that get to us? And even if you did, you step off. Like, I don't think it's necessary to call somebody out on it. Right. I mean, like right. That, that's my opinion. Um. But you know, but the way that they did it too at our event, which a lot of people don't realize, it's not like any of the noise caught you by surprise. So it wasn't like they were silent and then all of a sudden, back of your swing, everybody starts screaming. It's yeah. like they started off screaming from the beginning and it was just a very, uh, it was the, the amount of noise that was there was constant. It was yeah. never going up and down, up and down. So, and most of the time, like I feel like other sports, like the, the noise is always a very constant as well. So, I mm-hmm. mean, it's not like it's really mentally messing with you because it's something that's a constant.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, because um, that environment has been compared to um, it's whole 16 at Scottsdale, where it's just a party the whole time. Yeah. So I don't know if you know much about golf, but like, yeah, I, I agree. That's more energy. It makes it more fun to watch, like from a viewer's perspective. I to
1: roll that, too. I yeah. mean, being able to like strike and be able to run to the audience and be able to like really engage in it, you know, that, that's fun, too.
0: Yeah. Um, you brought it up. And I'm just curious. Are you a Lightning fan?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And are you a Bucks fan then too? Mm, mm. No. Jags? Nope. Just not a football fan? <laughs> Fair enough.
1: <laughs> I, I will root for, I'll root for my team. Like I'll root for Bucks if they're in it. Yeah. Um, I will root for the Cowboys and the Panthers because my dad likes Cowboys. My fiance likes Panthers. So. Sure,
2: sure. Okay. Yeah, it's the just, bu-
1: I like, I like hockey a lot. Um, I'm also an Islander fan, but that's because I'm from New York. Oh, okay. um, mm. Baseball, I'm not super into baseball, but my mom loves the Yankees, so I'm like a Yankee fan by default.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, did you, I, to go, I, if there was anything from hockey, if you're a big hockey fan that you could put into bowling, what would you do? What would you take from hockey and install into the sport of bowling besides full contact? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um hmm, that's a good question.
0: I think a big I, thing for I, me
1: I, I think I like oh, all the stuff that they do in between games. But I don't even know if that would be possible to do in bowling. Like when they go to the audience and they share like little tidbits, like or it's kids cam, whatever it is. Mm. Like mm-hmm. they do a lot of fun stuff for the audience. They do like a lot of giveaways. And um behind the scene I mean I'm not sure we did it so much with. I remember PA used to do that. Like in between, they used to do like a lot of fun stuff. They used to throw t-shirts to the crowd and stuff. I think that's fun because you know now people are more motivated. Like they want to be there because it's it's without them just sitting there watching. It's like that now they're engaging with everybody, mm-hmm. um, which I think that, that that's really cool.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the, I also the reason why I'm a huge lightning fan. Yeah, and hockey fans, begin with, is because my brother, actually, I grew up watching my brother play hockey. Okay. And my brother actually got drafted to, to play for the the Lightning twice, um, and he got, somebody ended up running a, a red light, and hit him, and then tore his ACL, so that was the end of his career, but he had, I mean, it would have been really cool if I could have watched my brother play for the Lightning. Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah. That's, that's yeah. That's that sucks that that happened, but it's cool that he was right there too. Um, no, that's that's awesome. Um, I guess to wrap things up because I have taken a whole lot of your morning here. Um, <laughs> I guess to if this this is one way that I've liked to like cap off podcasts in the past is if there was anything that you could share with the world, like a thought, a theory, an idea, just a piece of advice, um, anything, one thing that you could share with the world, what What would that thing be?
1: Don't limit yourself to other people's beliefs. Uh, I think that everybody's going to have an opinion of you, whether it's positive or negative. And if you listen to them, and that type that they don't believe that you could be successful or be a professional or whatever, you don't listen to them. Just try to be the best that you can be and try to live your own dreams, work towards it, be, work hard. Um, I really, I one day, you know, one day I really hope that I could be somebody that people can look to or say, hey, just look how hard she worked and look, she made it. You know, because she never gave up. I want to be that inspiration I mean, may not be that person who came out to tour my first season and win, but I may yeah. be that person who never gave up and has always worked hard to accomplish my dream. Because that is ultimately my goal. That's the most important thing to me right now. Yeah. So that's that's how I like to share with you. I would like others to see me, and I really like them to really believe in themselves and not and hold themselves accountable for a lot higher than what other people would. Not listen to me. Yeah. There's too many bad opinions about marriage.
0: They're not true. Really not. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And um, I tell you what, I think that the day that you cross that that plane of getting, getting that first W, I think that there will be a lot of people that will have that, um, that will share that sentiment with you because um, that is one thing that's... Uh, there's 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 absolutely the um, (laughs) the value of the instant success story you know they pop out of college and they're just they're just champs and all that sort of stuff which yeah that has its thing but also um, I think that there is so much to be said about somebody like yourself that is just you're working to the point that you're going to get there and I just want to as much as I can encourage it because I think that what you're doing is really cool um I think that you are right there <laughs> um because it you feels like it's,
1: that far away.
0: it's a big that's a that's such a big gap though right and and um I think that's you know
1: sorry
0: no you're good you're good I, I, it's, it's a hard thing to kind of quantify for me because I, I'm trying to be encouraging to somebody that I look up to, which is very strange. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that if they're, you know, you, you've, like you said, you you're working on your little stuff, but just, just hang, just hang it in there because you're right there. Like, you know, you have the game, you know, that you have the physical game to get there. And I'm really excited now to know that you like Reno to watch that fall classic because now my hopes are through the roof for you. Um, and, and I think that's, you can, I think that it'll be a good event for you. And I think that if you believe it will be that it will be. So, um, I am going to let you go though because I could continue to talk to you about bowling and yourself and I'm so curious like what your favorite ball in your bag is right now but I'm not going to ask. We're going to save that maybe for next time. Okay. Um, but It's probably
1: going to your favorite ball anyway so What was that? <laughs> this is be a 5 favorite ball
0: by not time
1: I can't live without my black widow 2.0 right now. No, enough.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, But thank you very much, Ashley. I really appreciate it. Um, I look forward to having everybody check this out because, like I said, I think you have a story that is really worthwhile and is interesting, and I'm excited to get this out there. So thank you very much for doing this. Um, I, 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 I I'm really thankful for it and, uh, best of luck if I don't talk to you before Reno and with everything that you bowl in between, and even with what you got going on with coaching and all that sort of stuff too, um, much wish you the best of luck with all that. And, uh, thank you very much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Have a
1: good day. Thank yeah, yeah, you guys.
0: Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you liked this episode, please be sure to hit subscribe, hit that like button, drop a comment to let me know what you thought or maybe who you'd like to see on the next 10 Pin Life podcast. But that's gonna be all for this one. And don't forget, your best life is a 10 Pin Life. See ya.